Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Patrick Duffy. Thanks for being on the show, Patrick. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Whitney. Patrick is a full-time real estate private equity professional focused on value-add multifamily and residential development strategies nationwide. Since January 2017, he and his partners have acquired over 2,000 units. And I'm excited to get into that, uh, Patrick. And uh, But first, why don't you tell us a little bit how you got into the syndication business? Sure. Um, so I uh, began my career in commercial real estate um, after graduating from college in 2013. Um, I spent a couple of years uh, within capital markets roles, focused on lending to real estate operators within uh, the multifamily uh, commercial office, retail, industrial um, spaces, as well as uh, residential investment strategies. So that was the fix and flip and uh, residential rental uh, portfolio product. And um, growing up, my, my family uh, owned a 12-unit uh, building in Los Angeles that my grandfather had built in the 60s or late 50s. And so I, I had grown up seeing the power of um, a multifamily building and the type of passive cash flow that that could provide one with. And so I was always motivated to be an owner myself one day. And certainly as I was making these loans and lending to folks within the space on, on the principal side of the transaction, I always wanted to be there. And um, I had made a career move to um, uh, consumer lending. So I, I had some friends that were really doing a great job in the residential mortgage space. And I, I had loved that space and wanted to be in it myself. And then I came to realize that I'm not a, uh, I'm not a salesman or, or just not uh, born to, to be a consumer uh, facing salesman. And, and I, at that moment was inspired. I was like, you know what, I, I got to get into multifamily or I have to get into real estate investment somehow because I just, I don't like this lifestyle anymore. I have to get into something that I can be um, self-employed or, or my own boss and control my own destiny a little bit. And so that really occurred um, kind of mid 2016. And um, I started uh, reaching out to some people that I had lent to prior, asking them how they got started or what steps they would recommend that I take if I wanted to get started on the principal side of the transaction. And they gave me some good advice with regard to partnering and, and what might be available um, from folks that could raise the equity for a deal that I found. And so I, I started doing some searching and I came across uh, Michael Blanc, who had a um, partnering uh, portal and program that if you brought a transaction that met a certain return criteria, he would then raise the equity for that that transaction. And so um, I uh, got to work kind of consuming all of his material and modeling and getting sharp on that. And luckily, since I had come from the lending world, I, I understood um, how to model cash flow and all of the things of that uh, that go along with that. And so I felt pretty comfortable there. But um, I did certainly learn some of the due diligence steps that were associated with um, confirming projections, confirming expenses, and things of that nature. And um, towards the end of 2016 there, I, I found a transaction that seemed to pencil out, um, submitted it for review. It got kind of the green light. And uh, 
um, submitted an LOI on that deal and, and we got an accepted LOI back um, uh, New Year's Day 2017. And so that wow. I, I literally started at the beginning of 2017 and um, with Michael, uh, we closed that deal mid-April of 2017. Um, he raised 100% of the equity and um, I managed the, uh, the all of the due diligence steps and the closing and and um, continue to act as the primary asset manager for that deal today. And um, throughout 2017, I, I had mentioned to you that we had close to about 2,000 units under contract um, at one point or, or throughout the course of the year, we ended up closing on just over 500 units. And um, my partners in those deals were involved in other transactions that um, and they, they closed approximately 2,000 units over the course of the year. So part of it, I'm, I'm part of a pretty active group of investors and, and uh, out there doing a lot of stuff, whereas my focus is more on kind of the day-to-day -day asset management of our properties to make sure that they're performing as intended, um, but uh, looking to get out into the uh, acquisition mode um, pretty soon now. So, so yeah, that, that's how I got into it and kind of up to the present day a little bit. I've heard your story before and uh, it was, it's very impressive, but, you know, but tell me, you know, I'd like you to elaborate a little bit on like why uh, Michael, you know, said, okay, you know, I'll partner with this guy or, you know, you contact him, you send him this deal, y'all, y'all do this together, which is an awesome way to, to make it happen and get into the business. Mm -hmm. But not just everybody can able, you know, is able to just partner right in with somebody and just you know, start making, uh, you know, big things happen and have, you know, that many doors under your belt and, and just be full time into the business that fast. So will you elaborate on what Michael seen in you and how you did that, to, you know, to, to make that partnership work and be beneficial to somebody like him so you could, you could get into the business? Sure. So, um, you know, and I, I appreciate the compliment. Um, I was certainly hungry. I was uh, extremely uh, motivated to get out of my W-2 employment lifestyle and become self-employed and, and working on multifamily full-time. So I think that that hunger um, may have been noticeable and my ability to um, originate transactions within the market, um, I, I think maybe was seen as an asset um, as well as kind of my ability. I, I just, you know, it, it's um, what the one underlying thing that I'd say is that all of the learning that I did about multifamily prior to getting in a first deal was eclipsed by the learning that occurred once I was in that first deal. And the, um, the learning associated with once you're actually under contract and what does that look like in order to get to the closing table is um, something that is, I think, glossed over a little bit, but it is so crucial to actually consummating a transaction. There's so much that occurs between contract and closing that, um, that really, I mean, it was kind of baptism by fire in many ways. It, you know, you get thrown into it and you have to make it happen um, so that it does close that just getting under contract is not, um, does not guarantee a close. So maybe the ability to work through some of that adversity, or adversity and, and take control of that process was a differentiating factor in just kind of owning that process. But um, one of the things that I, I've found beneficial and I, I kind of look for and, and um, bring to people's awareness when I talk to them as they're looking to get into the space 
is um, how how good they are with people, and it's something that can be developed. And um, that that relationship building ability and um, rapport that you can develop with someone really plays a, a beneficial role once you're in a market because there have been opportunities that have been um, provided to us for acquisition that we may not otherwise would have had unless um, I was able to kind of establish relationships there. And so um, our, our biggest acquisition in uh, 2017 um, in December was a 321 unit property. And um, we were able to win that because we had, um, we had actually been brought it uh, off market um, and it ended up going with a different broker on market. But we had had enough look at the story and underwriting that we were able to be very aggressive in our bidding. Whereas if we didn't have that um, have that relationship and weren't able to move on it as quickly, we may have lost out. And so um, I, I think maybe that was seen as an asset. And, and um, if someone's looking to be of value to a partner um, or a potential partner, I'd say that your ability to source quality transactions that are well vetted and you have an understanding of your in your market is going to be invaluable. You can't necessarily just say to someone, if they say, well, what can you do for me? Well, I can bring deals. Well, so can LoopNet. LoopNet can bring more deals than you could ever bring. You have to be a more qualified um, vetter of those deals and bring more value just beyond a you know, a, a pro forma. You, you have to you have to be a, a better provider or a presenter of opportunity um, in, in bringing it to a partnership, especially if you're looking for that partner to provide um, all the equity and potentially the debt raise for that deal. So that, that's what I'd say is maybe the maybe what was seen in me, but certainly what, and I, as I look at other people and talk with other people, the value that they can provide really kind of um, stems from those items. Yeah. And, and I'll have to brag on you a little bit too, though, because I, I know I've heard the story a few times and Michael's talked about uh, on his show, which I highly recommend also, is, uh, you know, how you you already had these things uh, kind of before he would ask for it, you kind of already had it. You know, you were you were on top of things. You were getting these things for him or whatever it was. You know, you were new into the business. You knew you needed his help and to be able to do that, you know, you made sure to be hungry like you talked about and you worked hard to be ahead of what what he needed through the process. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and just kind of to round it out, I think that kind of stems also from the lending background a little bit and that you had to be prepared if credit committee came and said, you know, what about this, this and that? You had to have the story correct um, before you could actually present something for someone to consider. Um, and, and I think it makes it a, you, you a better um, principal and, and uh, acquirer of um, real estate and benefits your investors by having all of those unknowns known before you actually consummate the, the transaction. So could you, you know, going from your, from your previous job and then within a year's time, I mean, you've really, uh, or a year and a half, whatever it is, you and partners have, have had so much experience. You've taken down a few deals, help us, you know, establish that roadmap for what other people should, should shoot for. Should, you know, is that realistic for somebody else to shoot for, uh, you know, 2000 deal, 2000 units or, you know, what, how do we look at that? Um, I'll tell you what I when I started. So I I was getting started in 2016. Um, I I had set out a goal because they always talk about what is your goal, and I had set out a goal that I wanted to have 100 units by the end of 2018. And now, I mean, if I choose to if I choose to participate in any acquisitions, it's getting late in the year now. But if I close on another deal, um, you know, by the end of this year, I'll have well over 600 units. By the end of 2018. And so, 
there's no there's no need to set a, a high number in terms of uh, units to acquire if you're just starting out. The point is to just get started. And what I found is that um, it's 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 an amazing um, inertia uh, effect in a way is that after you you buy that first transaction, people in the market immediately see that you're real and that you can close, and so they just start sending you opportunities. And you tell them what you want, and they'll send you those opportunities if they meet your bucket, or if they don't, they'll just send you opportunities. And so, the 2,000 units that we had under contract throughout the course of 2017 came as a result of that first transaction, and the rest were just sent. And you kind of get into this mode, especially where I was in that we closed on this first deal. I knew now that I had some capital partners that would fund deals that met certain criteria. So I just started hunting for those deals, and. Um, especially after that first deal closes, you have so much confidence in that you're not, um, you're not dismayed at the size of a deal anymore. So, um, you know, it's, it's really, and what I tell a lot of people is that what I, the big, um, light bulb going off or aha moment in, in my journey thus far is that the process for closing on multifamily is the same regardless of unit size, um, or unit count. And so, um, one thing that I wanted to speak to a little bit today, uh, if you want to go there, is kind of the mindset mindset shift that um, I would uh, employ um, or uh, urge uh, new um, investors to take in starting off larger, not smaller. So, you know, I, I my my first deal was sixty nine units, um, second deal was eighty, third was fifty seven, and fourth was three hundred and twenty one. And um, they were all the same closing process, but the 321 has been the best experience so far, you know, because it's provided me with the most income and, and it's been great. And so um, today, you know, I won't even look at, really, I, I don't want to look at a property that's less than 100 units. Um, and uh, ideally, I want to be in the 200 unit plus range. That's where, really where I'd like to be and a lot of my partners would like to be. And so um, getting back to the original question, the, the whole unit count thing, it starts really kind of becoming silly because it's just an, an, a matter of number of deals that you close and the units just kind of add up to themselves. So I appreciate you saying that about the unit count becoming silly, you know, because I, I completely agree. The And I can just see it. The larger, uh, I mean, it is the same process, whether it's 150 unit, whether it's 125, whether it's 75, you know, so why not go larger? That's right. And, and um, one of the other big ha-ha moments was, and it came with the largest deal, was um, the benefits of scale and the property managers that you can employ um, that will be attracted to that scale and the, um, the systems that they have in place to make your life easy. And um, so with the 321 unit deal, we have um, been able to partner with a property manager that manages upwards of about 8,000 units um, in the Southeast and the systems and the sophistication of their operation, because they have that, um, that size of portfolio makes our lives as managers um, extremely easy. And, and it's actually more of a joy to work with that property manager on a 321 unit deal. We spend less time working with them than we do on our properties that are managed by a property manager with a um, thousand units and is managing our 57 unit property. I know it sounds crazy, but we actually spend more time managing the day-to-day going-ons of the 57 unit than we do the 
um, day-to-day of the 321, which kind of sounds counterintuitive, but it's, um, it's really been, that, that's been a very aha moment for me as well. Now that you've become very familiar with the syndication business, what, what would you say is the most difficult part? Um, raising capital. <laughs> I, I think in, in any syndicator that you would talk to um, is uh, probably going to come back with that. The deal flow, um, a, lot, a lot of people may say deal flow is challenging. Um, I don't share in that necessarily. I've always been able to, I think, find um, pretty qualified opportunities um, through relationships and, and just kind of maybe seeing value where others didn't, um, without, uh, without confirmation bias. So not trying to, you know, uh, drink my own Kool-Aid, um, trying to be as objective as possible, but I, I legitimately think there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, and I think that the, the struggle has been finding the right investor, um, appetite for a given opportunity. And, um, just uh, just being able to go forth and convey the benefits of multifamily and investing in multifamily syndications as opposed to maybe some other um, more familiar uh, investments like the stock market or, um, or or things of that nature is an important message to have. And the more that you can get that out into the public, I think the more investors that you win over. But um, really finding... Um, the right investors for the right deals and pairing those up, I think is, is really where the challenge exists for a lot of syndicators, including myself. Um, there, there, there's potentially endless pools of capital out there, but just finding what opportunities meet their appetite of risk and, and duration of uh, hold period. That's, that's kind of where the challenge comes in. And sometimes it's kind of a funny process and it's something that I, I think I'm getting better at, but it's still interesting to see it occurs. There seems to be a chicken and egg type relationship. It's um, you're almost expected to come with the deal in order to raise the capital, but it's done so often without a clear picture of what that capital wants. And so I feel like it would be a much better relationship by approaching the capital first and understanding what their risk tolerances are, what their return um, appetites and, and desires are, and then going and finding the transactions that, that meet those characteristics. But oftentimes it's done the other way. So just trying to, to navigate that paradigm is, is a little confusing at times, but I think we're getting better at it. From our previous conversation, and I know that you're a big role of yours in the business is asset management. Mm. And you know, I'd like for you to speak on that just a little bit. Some things you've learned over the last year, just really uh, having a big role in asset management. Give us some some things that we need to we need to know going forward. Things that maybe aren't as common uh, that that maybe you didn't know when you got started that were maybe a surprise. Sure. So, um, I spoke to this briefly when I was talking about the benefits of a uh, property manager with scale and a, and a mm-hmm. property with scale, and um, some of the benefits and sophistication that come along with that. And when it relates to asset management, um, I have found that the, um, the larger property that you have um, leads to a better property manager that you can place. And the better property manager will have more sophisticated reporting, um, quicker uh, turn times on projects, um, better costing on projects, and um, ability to meet your budget um, much better. And so from an asset management perspective, that's now become kind of my, my model in that I have a certain property manager I want to work with. I, I have certain reporting regimens I want to have and um, want to work with them in a certain way. Um, and um, with the smaller properties, I've found that the uh, effort allocated to making sure that the reporting is correct, um, certain expenses are audited, our business plan is being adhered to is a much, much greater effort. Um, 
And uh, I'd say that one of the big themes too um, is that the the smaller properties that we bought were all um, close to or at stabilization at the time that we bought it. And our business plan for those properties was that um, through a a medium kind of renovation package, we were going to be able to increase rents between um, $75 and $100 a month. Um, or typically between fifty and seventy-five dollars. So not not huge increases, but somewhat incremental increases as tenants turned over. And what I have found from an asset management standpoint is that has been extremely hard um, to manage, and that you can't necessarily predict the transience of certain tenants within a class of building. And um, trying to hit that performance metric and that type of business plan is very challenging and doesn't deliver the value to investors that I'd like to deliver. And um, so the 321 unit property that we bought was um, severely distressed, mismanaged, 68% occupied when we bought it with a clear picture of value creation ahead of it. And um, and in about six months um, from purchase, we're now at 97% occupied. Um, and we've spent a large amount of capital and capital improvements. And that process has been far easier to manage just because um, we, we had a budget, a, a timeline, and we were able to go out and, and hit that. Um, and uh, with the right property management partner, it's made our, our lives much, much easier. Um, but uh, one of the big lessons also that I just provide other people that are maybe purchased their, their first asset or looking to purchase their first asset and how to asset manage is, um, keep your your property managers on a weekly or biweekly um, schedule of reporting metrics. So against your um, pro forma metrics to make sure that you're on task or if they fall below a certain item, you can ask them why. Um, have a, uh, a report um, built out prior or immediately done after acquisition of your budget versus actual report so that you can get a narrative where... Um, certain costs exceed your budgeted costs as to why they're exceeding your budgeted costs and that you can provide that color to investors. And um, fundamentally, at the core of it, um, have a trust but verify relationship with your property manager. They're, they're trying to do a good job for you. Um, they're, they're working their tails off. And so you want to honor and value that um, commitment and integrity, but you want to verify everything that they're reporting um, so that if mistakes are being made, um, that they're corrected for. And, and I, I've found that on um, some of the smaller properties that we have, um, that some expenses have been double billed or misallocated to our property when they should have been to another property. And so it was only through that kind of um, that uh, temporary or um, from time to time audit that we did on some of those expenses and verifying those expenses, were we able to uncover some of those mistakes. And so that, that's been a, a good kind of control to have. Um, for our investors. Some good advice. So double build or put on the wrong property. If you weren't, if you weren't looking at that probably weekly, you wouldn't notice it. That's right. Yeah. It is something that could just, just to slip through. And it, you know, um, I, I, I have a good relationship with our property managers and I don't for one second believe it was malicious or designed to mislead. It was a mistake. Right. And so what we do is we just make sure that we're taking care of the mistakes. What's the number one thing that contributed to your success, Patrick? Just persistence. I, I really say persistence. And um, really, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that uh, you're, you're not going to win the deal 
um, in a competitive situation by just putting out an offer and hoping that they accept it. It's going to come with the 10th or the 15th or the 20th phone call to make sure that they saw the offer. What do they want to do? How can we win it? And let's do this thing. It's that type of persistence that is going to help you win in competitive situations. And frankly, for the right deals, they're all going to be competitive. Um, it's only through, and I've seen this with some of my partners, it's only through their um, very deep penetration within a market that they've been able to secure true off-market properties that are being sent to them um, that haven't been sent to anyone else. Um, off-market is typically a misnomer because... Um, you, you may be sent an off-market property, quote unquote, that's sent to hundred people. And so it's really with those deep penetrations in a market where you maybe have a thousand doors or 2000 doors that you're then being sent some of those true off-market opportunities, but it's because they were persistent in closing those 2000 doors that they're able to get to that level. And so it, it builds on itself, but, um, I wouldn't have, uh, closed on the over 500 units unless we were persistent and building relationships with it, with people in the market, talking with people, um, as many people as we could in the market and, and really getting a lay of the land. Cause that's when people, um, start saying things to you that you, they may not otherwise would have. And just a final kind of example of that. And I learned this at a prior company I was with is the importance of meeting with people. So if you're in a market and looking to invest in a market, go to that market and meet with all of the top brokers in that market. They will tell you about deals and opportunities that may not be on LoopNet or may not be on the MLS or tell you about an owner that might be thinking of selling that no one else knows about. And they will generally tell you things that they wouldn't have otherwise told you over the phone because you're there with them. And it's such a powerful tool um, to, I think, build relationships and get opportunities just by going and visiting them in the market, you can really uncover an amazing amount of detail that you otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't have known about. That's some great advice, Patrick. Unfortunately, uh, we're out of time, but uh, will you tell the listeners how, how they can get in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, happy to happy to spend time and talk with anyone that has questions. Um, you can email me as at uh, pduffy32 at gmail.com. It's my personal email. It's P as in Patrick, D-U-F-F-Y, the number three, the number two at gmail.com. And um, just shoot me an email. We'll set up a time to chat and I'll be happy to answer your questions. Great. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, for being on the show and uh, appreciate the listeners for, for being with us today. And we will talk to you all tomorrow. All right. Thanks for having me, Whitney. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.